Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, by the way, Happy New Year. Uh, yeah, so for many, welcoming in the new year brings a time of reflection. The holidays tend to slow things down a little bit. We tend to reflect upon this, the past year and, and project desired changes in the year to come. Some make goals, some make resolutions, even if they only last two weeks, right? Uh, some determine to read more and watch less or invest in relationships or invest in their physical well-being. Establishing healthy patterns, habits, and goals are a good thing. Uh, some, for some, what they're searching for is the very thing that Paul addresses in our text for today, the topic of contentment. At the conclusion of his letter to the Philippians, Paul returns to the gift that was sent from the Philippian church via Epaphroditus. He briefly mentioned it at the beginning of this letter and then tabled it here until the end. Uh, Paul expresses his gratitude for the gospel partnership of the Philippian church, yet he also doesn't, take, doesn't overlook a teaching opportunity here. Because the reality is contentment for us fallen humans, does not come naturally. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 records our first parents' disobedience, the consequential loss of perfect union with God, their expulsion from the garden paradise, and the entrance of sin. Since then, our natural state, more often than not, is longing, discontentment, and complaining. If you need some examples, just read the Old Testament. It's filled with a lot of complaining. And changing this requires divine intervention. God must work on our behalf. Because this is our, if you will, default setting to complain ever since Genesis chapter 3. The sting of what was lost remains in every human heart. And this compels us to search for that next thing. Now, God uses this discontentment in ways to spur us and draw us closer to Him. In fact, C.S. Lewis, author and theologian, addresses this discontentment in his work, Mere Christianity, where he writes, quote, Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. C.S. Lewis addresses this discontentment, this longing. He says, God is using this discontentment to reveal to us that what we're really searching for cannot be found in this world. And those who search to fill the longing with what this world offers, they may find seasonal satisfaction, but ultimately the counterfeit is exposed and the longing for lasting contentment returns. Paul takes this opportunity to teach, as one theologian says, to teach the, the, that the enjoyment of material abundance is not the basis for contentment. I'll say that again because I had to read it twice. The, the, the enjoyment of material abundance 
is not the basis for contentment. Now, on both sides of Paul addressing this idea of contentment, Paul acknowledges the church's anxiety over their needs. We saw this last week in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 4, where Paul charges the church, don't be anxious about anything. And in the, in the verses that follow those that we'll look at today, that Sam will look at next week, Paul will say explicitly, listen, trust in the Lord. God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. The Philippians were concerned for their needs. And Paul takes an opportunity here in our three short, power-packed verses to direct their attention and our attention toward what true Christian contentment looks like. Christian contentment is a result of a divine work that alters one's perspective of this life. Heavenly citizens with an eternal perspective, they they view the, the, the currency or the rewards of the better country as far more desirable than the currency or rewards of this country. So let's read together Paul's Paul's words in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Read with me. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had, you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, Sam made a statement uh, a few weeks ago that all, of, all four of us in my family uh, recognized and, and acknowledged after the sermon He made the statement that gratitude impacts attitude. And I think there's a lot of truth to this statement. Paul demonstrates this to the Philippians by beginning this portion of the text, his his, 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 uh, conclusion of this letter, by rejoicing in what God has done in the Philippians in their generous gift toward him. Gratitude and generosity become the catalyst for Paul's teaching on contentment. Because gratitude and generosity reveals a trust in a good God and hope in a better country than the one here and now. Those who have their eyes set on eternal things view our resources as expendable because it's not about accumulating what we can here in this life. This life is about a mission that God has given us. And so Paul returns to this gospel perspective that he addressed at the beginning of the letter has been filtered all throughout as he demonstrates what it looks like for the gospel to influence the way he sees and views everything. This gospel lens or filter that empowered Paul, we've seen it all throughout this letter, but a few examples just to jog our memory. We saw it in chapter 1. It allowed Paul to rejoice in the preaching of a pure gospel by those who had impure motives. We saw in chapter 2, this this gospel filter inspired exemplary behavior uh, like that of Timothy and Epaphroditus. 
And it it allowed Paul to forget what lies behind him and to press toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. We saw that in chapter 3. This same gospel perspective is what allows Paul to find contentment in every circumstance here in chapter 4. Paul is demonstrating throughout this life or throughout this letter that, that this influence of the gospel on his life, it changes the way he views everything. And it points to an underlying disposition about this life and all that it has to offer. There are many good things in this life. Paul says, Scripture says, but there, there is something far better than the here and now. And so Paul begins our text today by rejoicing in the generous partnership of the Philippians. Not because his temporal needs were met, though they were met, but because, uh, because of the maturity revealed in the Philippian believers, who, though they themselves had very little resources, they saw the advancement of the gospel through Paul, a worthy investment. And this was showing maturity in their lives that they, they saw the, this investment as an eternal one. What resources they had, they invested in the gospel moving forward through Paul and his ministry. And, and that revealed a maturity in them. It also revealed a hope that they had in the better country, the kingdom to come. On the contrary, a lack of generosity reveals at its core a mistrust of God's goodness. And it reveals a desire for fulfillment here and now in this life. But Paul is quick to clarify he is indeed most concerned with that which is eternal. This is not that I am speaking of being in need, he writes in in verse 11. Now, remember Paul has already given his life outlook, if you will, his, his motto for living. He said back in chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ, period. Paul says, everything that I do, it is to make much of Jesus. And so Paul here differentiates himself from other preachers that were using the ministry for material gain. And Paul says, I'm not looking for material gain, though I am blessed By your generosity, that's not the reason why I preach. I preach because Christ is glorious. He's not looking for temporal gain through through his ministry. Uh, and, And that's a point that he will further address in the verses that we will look at next week. But Paul addresses that his needs, which are real, and he's not denying the needs within this life, but he reveals that his ultimate trust is not in those churches which he planted to partner with him, though they have partnered with him. But his ultimate trust for his provision is in the God who directs his steps, the ruler of the kingdom yet to come. He reveals his hope, that his, that his hope is not in things here and now in this life. His hope is something that's set ahead of him. And this is something that Paul says he has learned. In fact, actually, that's where he turns his attention in verses 11 and 12. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
So it's interesting, Paul uses some, some interesting language here in, in these verses. In fact, uh, this language is used nowhere else in Paul's writing and nowhere else actually in the New Testament. Uh, and particularly that the, the learning and the learning the secret part there. Uh, and, and so in order for us to understand, we need to remind ourselves of the context in which Paul is writing this letter. He's writing this letter to believers who once took pride and found their identity in their Roman citizenship, in what country they were aligned with, many of which in this church were retired military, most likely. And so many would understand identifying not only with their Roman citizenship, but also being a part of an elite group in the military. And so Paul uses some language that he doesn't use anywhere else to, to evoke a response in his listeners and saying, church, Philippians, you understand what it's like to be part of a select group. You understand what it's like to be part of or to identify with something that, that not everyone universally can identify with. And Paul is saying, this, this, this component of identifying a part of the group, this has been a part of my journey in understanding and viewing what this life is like. And it's that component of becoming a citizen of, of the better country. Not a Roman citizen, not a, a retired army officer or whatever their position was. Whatever group they identified with, Paul reminds them that they had left, they have left these groups behind and then they, they now identify with Christ alone. And that in identifying with Christ... It has changed the way he views everything. The way he views his life, his circumstances, his resources, his relationships. The way he views everything. Being a citizen of the better country supersedes all other alliances. As citizens, they have been initiated into a new way of thinking. One that is not natural in their flesh. And so Paul says this new way of thinking looks like this. In every circumstance, he can be content. Now, this can often be taken out of context. And so we need to remember the context in which Paul is writing this. He is sitting in prison for preaching the gospel. Paul is not penning these words while he lounges in a hammock alongside the Mediterranean with a nice cool breeze and a fruity drink in his hand. Right? Paul is not saying, I have learned to be content in every situation. This is not an excuse to indulge in the luxuries of this world. It is a charge to view our circumstances differently than non-citizens, precisely because we are not living for this country, but for the one to come. And so Paul says, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret. So we go, okay, Paul. You have learned the secret to be content, to find joy as you're sitting in a Roman prison while other people preach the gospel just to spite you, and you're, you're struggling with things in life, just the challenges and the brokenness of this world. You have learned to be content. What is this secret, Paul? Paul says, all things through Christ's strength. I remember when my girls were young, we would often work on Bible memory verses, and they know it's coming. Uh, we, one of them came up to me one day and was super excited because she had memorized 
Philippians 4.13, and she with great joy said, I can do all things through Christ who spankens me. And I said, yeah, that about sums it up. This verse is often also taken out of context. Philippians 4.13, though it is a very coffee muggable verse, you might see it on a t-shirt, on a coffee mug, or even a little league hat, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is often misunderstood. What is Paul saying here? Is Paul saying that I, without any training, tomorrow can go scale Mount Rainier because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? No. Paul's not saying that. That would probably end very poorly for me. Honestly, that idea or that view of this verse is very egocentric or self-centered. And applying this verse toward I'm being able to do what I, with the problem that's ahead of me, it's that little league baseballer who gets up to the plate and says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens and closes his eyes and strikes out. What, what then? That's a misapplication of this verse. So what is Paul saying here? The attitude Paul is charging the Philippian believers to adopt here is the same perspective and attitude he has adopted. Endure all things in this life, comfort or pain, suffering or success, persecution or gospel advance for the sake of Christ, to the glory of Christ, trusting Christ will sustain you. Paul's saying this is the attitude I have adopted. One, one theologian translates that verse as I, Paul saying, I have strength in all things. He goes on to say it re- represents this, this ultimate and ideal consciousness of the Christian to throw off mere self-sufficiency, acknowledge our own weakness and sin, our need for Christ, accept the salvation of God's free grace in Christ, and to find our strength made perfect in weakness. Paul addresses this, not just here. He also addresses this idea in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, as he's charging the church there to prepare for spiritual battle that they will face, where he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might as he's challenging the church to prepare for struggles and challenges and, 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 and warfare that will come against them on a spiritual nature, he says, don't lean on your own strength, but find your strength in Christ for any and every situation. And what Paul is pointing to here is an underlying attitude, a perspective shift, if you will, for those who are in Christ. And he takes this opportunity to teach the Philippians the importance of this gospel perspective, this lens that Paul has addressed earlier in the letter that filters the way he sees everyone and everything. It impacts the way he views his circumstances, the way he views his possessions, his needs, his relationships. It has changed the way Paul has viewed his purpose In this life, Paul has learned through Christ what truly matters, the true reality of this better country and what he's living for, and it affects everything in this life here and now. He no longer lives for the approval of others or to accumulate earthly 
possessions. Because in all things, Christ is his strength. So, if the incoming of a new year has you contemplating your contentment, maybe reviewing your habits and goals, may you and I hear these words of Paul today that we may rejoice in the generosity of others, the provision of God, the maturing of others around us, that we may find our contentment in whatever situation we find ourselves, recognizing that we live in a world that is broken and fallen. But we're not living for this broken and fallen world. We're living for one yet to come. And that influences the way we see everything. And holding tight to this secret of contentment that Paul reveals here, which is Christ. Not leaning on our own strength, but seeing and savoring Christ for who he is and finding our strength for every situation. And let me tell you this, it is a lot easier to find our strength in Christ when we are broken on our knees. When we find, when, when we are faced with our own insufficiency. It is much harder to lean on the strength of Christ when we get that promotion at work and life is riding high and everything we say is received and understood. Everything we touch is, just works out great. It's a lot easier and more natural for our flesh to say, look at me. I got a hold of this. I can handle this life. It is in those moments that we need to rely on the strength of Christ, not on our own self-sufficiency, but on him and him alone. If you're here this morning and you have not put your trust in Christ, I plead with you to turn to Christ today. Place your trust in the, in the work and life of Christ for your salvation and walk in this newness of life. In these three short verses, Paul charges the Philippians and charges us reading here to live with a gospel perspective. That Jesus is not just a box that, that, is, that is abdicated for Sunday mornings and maybe five minutes each week morning. That we're not content with that. But Jesus, in fact is a part of every area of our lives. Every decision, every attitude, every moment. Because our affections and our attention is directed toward him in all things. So Paul charges us to live with this gospel perspective, but what does that look like? For us, What does it look like to live with a gospel perspective? Well, the New Testament does, does a great job of explaining that. And there's many different facets of how that is to look within our lives. Paul gives us just a few here in these short verses. One, he says those who are living with this gospel perspective, they are going to live generous lives full of gratitude. 
They will view, we will view our resources as expendable here in this life because this life is about our mission, not about our comforts. And so the resources that God gives us are used to, to, to make an eternal investment like the Philippian church did in Paul's ministry. And Paul's not talking about going and selling everything we own like some monks did in medieval days. He's talking about a, a heart attitude, the way we view what we have as not ours, the way we view our circumstances as not overcome by our own self-sufficiency, right? It's, it's, it's an attitude change. It's a heart change. It's a, an understanding that we are insufficient in and of ourselves. And our flesh, our pride, it bristles against that. It doesn't like that. There is natural fleshly resistance to that attitude. And which is why Paul says, you know, that old guy, just crucify him. Just kill him. And if it means daily picking up your cross, daily reminding yourself that that old way of living is dead and you are now alive in Christ, then, then Paul says, do it. If it takes every moment reminding yourself that, then do it. Because it's about pressing forward toward that upward call in Christ to being like Jesus. Generosity and gratitude and also recognizing our own weakness and need. Finding our strength in Christ. It takes realizing that contrary to the, the, na- the narrative of our culture, the strength we need is not found inside ourselves. The strength we need is in Christ. So may you and I live with that eternal perspective. May we live generous and thankful lives, setting our attention and our affections upon Christ at every moment. And may you and I see the rewards of the true and better country as far more desirable than the rewards of this country. May you and I set our hope on what's to come. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, I confess, God, it is easy for me to rely on my own strength. God, it is folly for me to rely on my own strength. And so, God, I ask that you would reveal to us our great need for you. That you would help us, as the Puritan pastor Isaac Watts, as the Puritan pastor wrote, help us to see sin as bitter so that Christ is sweet. God, that you would teach us as we have seen as Paul has declared that you are our great teacher, would you teach us to find contentment in this life by filling it with a hope for the next, by viewing our time, our resources here in this life as means 
to fund the mission of making much of you. Jesus, I pray that you would work in our hearts and lives for your glory, not for our comfort. And that we would lean on your strength in every situation, in every circumstance. Whether we are are walking in success or whether our knees are raw because of the, the pain that we are facing, God, that we would lean on you Find our strength in you, Jesus, to the glory of your name. Amen.